Hello, and welcome to Ship Talking Pod. I'm your host, Brandon, and here on the bridge alongside me this week is Robbie. Ahoy, matey! <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm good. As I was telling you earlier off the air, I got my new car, yep. and so I've been having a lot of fun with that, except, you know, I don't know if, I, if you've ever done this before, but I had like this incident yesterday. You know, like those car washes that you hand wash the car? Yeah, yeah. I've never used it before, and <laughs> I, I was doing it, you know, and I accidentally like sprayed myself in the face with it because it was all powered and everything and so yeah i had a little bit of an episode but it kind of reminded me i was laughing because i thought of myself i was like oh my god this is just like when picard was trying to like pilot like a shuttlecraft and they were just like do you know what you're doing like are you okay that's kind of like me trying to wash my car for the first time by hand so right well speaking of picard we of course had first contact day this week so always fun to celebrate that i do you remember seeing that movie in the cinema that was the first truck movie i actually saw actually up on the big screen i do i remember watching it and i was just blown away by like how cool it was and i rewatched it recently yep um and it's it holds up great it's such a good movie those shots of the enterprise e and the sovereign class seeing it for the first time are just absolutely amazing and uh well some of my favorite shots in terms of ship flybys and stuff so happy first contact day to everyone out there hope you all did something to celebrate it and we're glad you're here continuing the celebrations alongside us yeah and i think the more star trek holidays the better i mean what do you think brandon do you think it's gonna take off like i think that first contact day should be a paid holiday i don't know about you (laughs) i'd vote for that okay well let's let's hope it starts trending you know what let's make sure like hopefully james can get this started for us you know maybe yeah james work your magic yeah come on james make it happen (laughs) besides the fun and joy of first contact day i have to say i'm super excited that we're gonna be able to interview mark bell for our show today he is a vfx artist who creates digital models of canon ships from trek including types of ships that we saw in first contact he has yes actually i think he's done all the ships that we saw in first contact from steam runner to the saber to the norway uh and he's actually created some really cool art that features all those ships in a scene actually with the new ship the enterprise f there are some really cool shots that he's done out Mm -hmm. there I'm really looking forward to the chat with him. His work is absolutely amazing. He is one of the top digital modelers out there. And I'm hoping we're going to get to learn a bit and maybe some tips and tricks for anyone wanting to get started in that field as well. Oh, yeah. And also, he did some stuff that, you know, when you look at his work, he did the Midas array. He did sensor arrays. So for all of you who really like to look at also the progression of the artwork and the modeling, he is one of the few artists I've seen that actually shows you all the different steps of it. And it's really great because you just get to see and appreciate just how much work goes into it. And we're going to get to the chat with him in just a bit. But first, let's move into this week's Community Q segment. For this week's Community Q, I'm really excited because we asked all of you to let us know which piece of ship technology do you think is the most fascinating? Yeah, there is, of course, a lot of ship technology out there. And the one that you've submitted the most was the transporter. 
Wait, is that the right sound? Am I? Uh, oh no, it's like whoosh. whoosh yeah, whoosh. there's been different sound effects, but yeah, I was expecting kind of see this up there. I didn't know if it was going to be the top one, but obviously revolutionary, critical to Star Trek and its operations. Well, especially from you know TOS onwards. Obviously, it was being developed during the NX01 days, but critical piece of technology. It was cool to see that. You know, one thing that what I always love about the transporter is that what we see in Star Trek the type of transporter of, of matter being able to move yep. is actually extremely far-fetched, but we yeah, do is. have a type in, in, in actual science. There's a, there's a theory of what's called quantum transportation, yeah, which yeah, for yeah. anybody who's interested and wants to learn a little bit more about that, I definitely recommend looking it up because it's so cool with what we can transport right now, vastly different than in Star Trek, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting how what we can do and the limitations and kind of like, you know, it's been talked about for a very long time. And so, um, yeah, but I have to say compared to quantum transportation, Star Trek transporters, way cooler. So much more interesting. Very cool and interesting, but very scary in the sense of once you get transported somewhere, you're technically not the exact same person. It's not your exact matter that's being recomposed into yourself it's a recreation so kind of every time you transport you basically become a new person right a new being from other matter it's not your actual matter so definitely interesting in that aspect in terms of tech with the most submissions after transporter it was warp drive and i also lumped in slipstream drive alongside that so faster than light technology yeah and i think that once again where i won't i'm actually not going to talk about the real science behind (laughs) warp and, and and faster than g you know or but i love this about star trek i think that the idea of making the universe smaller so that we Mm -hmm. actually can go visit other planets and other people so cool so awesome and of course slipstream gave us the world-renowned phrase make it slippy which (laughs) has been known by all of trekdom as you know the biggest impact on the franchise i would say the the most catchiest go to warp command phrase right <laughs> i know i think there's like two people who who like and it's me and sharky but yeah that's what i was gonna say you and your other mirror self <laughs> <laughs> actually you know what though it's all my clones of me from being transported multiple times just keep oh. up, up, upvoting it that's right. how it is okay all right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in terms of other most frequently submitted pieces of tech that was the holodeck replicators and inertial dampeners hmm. see now i'm not surprised because i definitely definitely could see the holodeck and the replicators i am a little bit i'm curious about how inertial dampeners came to be i I mean i get it like it is it maybe this is a lot of people who like expand the expanse but i'm really curious that that made the list well i think it's always been also one of those things like inertial dampeners inertial dampeners it's there's this like inside joke within the truck community like what's the actual way to say it but if we think about it you know just from our discussion a couple weeks ago with dr robert hurt Mm -hmm. star trek ships wouldn't exist without that technology right because right. everyone would be you know stains of blood on the back wall as soon as the right. ship went to warp or deaccelerated. so right. critical if warp is going to exist we know that those had to exist otherwise the crew wouldn't exist when they came out of warp what i've read and studied i could see that some form of holodeck projection or some type of projection that's more interactive is on the horizon and it's actually highly likely now the ability for it to be physically touched you know where light will be able to have a more solid matter that's another discussion right but interactive especially with the new ai machine learning technology that's coming out i mean 
fully interactive holodeck type stuff with projections is not that far off and that i'm super excited for i am looking forward to seeing more of that too and of course you know replicators only existed because transporters did as well or at least the tech behind them that Mm -hmm. matter could be re-energized and rematerialized into something else and um as we've come to find out in you know season three of discovery and we kind of knew this beforehand if you read the tech manuals that um (laughs) human waste or other species waste byproducts is what ultimately was reused to re it was reused to make some of that uh, replicated food that you'd eat <laughs> i think we all know what scene from the new discovery that brandon is talking about and i think we'll just yeah walk away we'll, from it very yeah, slowly yeah yeah we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll just, leave it there we'll leave it there and then you know we'll just enjoy the idea that we can have any kind of food we want and replicate <laughs> it and probably no calories which yeah. i'm okay with that yeah yeah you know? yeah uh, well, actually no i guess it would have to have calories because it's it's food it's supposed to have nourishment so it would have to have energy you'd need it right to survive you need it maybe not excessive calories (laughs) well moving away from that uh, actually let's just transport our way from away from that subject (laughs) and um for the next community queue we want all of you to tell us as you watch Trek, which part of living on a ship made the least amount of sense to you? So go back and think about the times where you saw personnel walking around or doing certain things or live in a certain way. You know, what really made you think, mm, okay, that's a bit far-fetched. We'll leave that to you to figure out what it is. And of course, you can let us know. Yeah. And I think that as we've all learned from especially our doctors and physicists that we've had on the show, don't overthink this because definitely there's a lot of fantasy. But yeah. we're definitely happy to hear it all your suggestions absolutely and don't forget you could send your answers to us via email submission form on our website or even via twitter please do send them on in okay so i think i see in the distance one of those renegade borg ships trying (laughs) to assimilate a nebula class so we better go get over to mark to see what's going on what do you think brandon let's go meet him So about a year, maybe a year or two ago, I, mm-hmm. I took it into my head that I wanted to, to model the first contact board cube. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. From first contact specifically? Yeah, okay. Very, yeah, very specifically. I, that thing nearly broke me oh. because I, I just decided I was going to model every single little intricate detail that I could see. Wow. And it took probably about a month to model one side of oh, it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. And I, I just I couldn't bring myself to I, the People wanted was like, oh, cool. So when's the sphere coming? I'm like, uh, probably never. And the tactical um, <laughs> cube. There's <laughs> tactical cube, yeah. I don't know if you guys know, but originally back when Star Trek First Contact was being made, it was, mm-hmm. I think it was one of the first movies to employ like a full armada of CGI ships. So there was mm-hmm. like a lot of background mm-hmm, yeah. ships and, and a lot of those things like the Saber class, the Norway, Akira, they were all CGI ships, but they were yeah. very early 90s CGI ships. Right. Um, so they're very low poly, very little detail, surprisingly little detail. So when you see these things in orthographic view so you know you've got your top you've got your front your back your side you can see what they were going for but they're not overly detailed so Mm -hmm. my approach is kind of like 
tackle it as you see it, um, make it as close and as accurate as you possibly can to what you have, and then the different areas, you can kind of go back to John Eves' original uh, concepts for things that you want to expand on, like the shuttle bays and, and maybe the torpedo pod at the top. Mm-hmm. So there, there are just little areas that you can expand on. One of my favorite things about your work is that those ships that we've seen detailed parts to and designs, you've recreated them so faithfully. So I imagine there's a lot of work that goes into finding those references to be able to actually tackle creating them and having them look exactly like they did up on screen. But I know from speaking with other artists that it's all about, okay, well, is it screen accuracy or is it accuracy to the design? And both of those play in conflict of each other. You know, the original artist created them and they ultimately ended up looking different, you know, when they were up on screen, even from color to decals to everything like that. So, you know, I I can't even imagine the amount of research that it would take to actually get it to the point where you get it. Yeah, one of the ones that I've done recently was a Romulan warbird, yes. the Derridex. Mm-hmm. And that thing, I mean, it's got a beautiful uh, studio model. So they, mm-hmm, they built absolutely. it physically. And the pole that I ran at the time was for Deep Space Nine. So on DS9, mm-hmm. they used a CGI Romulan Warbird. Right, and yeah. they're very different when you, you compare them uh, okay. side to side. Mm-hmm. You've got the, the wings, the way they kind of curve mm-hmm. and meet each other. So on the studio model, it's more symmetrical. Mm-hmm. On the CGI model, it's like the top kind of has this sort of like, uh, what would you call it? It looks like a turkey. You know, it has a really <laughs> big hump. Yeah, and then yeah, it comes yeah. and just slims down towards the butt. And it's not so symmetrical. So whenever I did mine, I had a lot of different reference information which kind of contradicted each other. So that okay. one specifically, I tried to kind of marry the two together. So oh, cool. I tried to take the elements that I kind mm-hmm. of like, the, the most recognizable things from the studio model. And then the other things like the overall shape, I would use the CGI model because that's... In Deep Space Nine, that was the model, you know. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to like run a poll and do Deep Space Nine, but then make it like the next generation because even though they're the same ship, they're not really. Sure. Mm-hmm. And when you say poll, you're talking about giving the option out to the community that you have that yeah, follows I, your ship work and they get to vote or get to give suggestions. Like, that's actually a good point. And that must be how you direct kind of what models you do next. Or Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And, right. and I'll be honest with you. Um, this this kind of all came about because of covid you know um okay. i just I, I used to just do things for free just put them out there and i and i still do i mean everything that i do is sure. for free um but if you want to become part of the community you can just sign up and i run polls that are like a monthly theme okay. so it'll be like do you want a movie do you want something from next gen voyager mm-hmm. deep space nine jj verse anything like that mm-hmm. and then whenever that's voted on i'll then do a selection of ships that others can then direct me, you know, what do they want this month? And that kind of then focuses what I do. So then I go off and research it and start building it. And then hopefully within that month, I'll release it. So for me, I I would always do as a modeler, I would always do something that I want to do. Yes, that's important. This has kind of in a way kind of pushed me because you need something to work for, don't you? You mm-hmm. need something to get up for. You need something to right. do. And this has pushed me to kind of try new things, things that I wouldn't myself want to model, but, yeah. you know, forces you to be creative, really right. study and use your brain and get going. So, Well, you know, you might be seeing a, a poll from our co-host Alex for uh, the request for a detached nacelle warbird. So, <laughs> you know, I could imagine, like, as an artist, when you see just there's so many things you want to do and i'm sure there's so many things that you would just love to do and it's probably just it's it's just what is some of those barriers to getting to that point like you have like this crazy idea and actually getting to it i think it kind of all just goes back to what 
you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I still haven't got around to it, but I really, really want to make a Galaxy class. I, I just really want to do it. Sure, yeah. The thing That's that kind all. of puts me off is mm -hmm. the fact that I kind of really like, and this is going to be controversial, I kind of really like the four foot model, the detail, the bumpage, okay. oh, yeah. you know, the little decals, but it, it's... It's just different enough to mm -hmm. become an issue. So mm -hmm. if you want, if you tried to base your Galaxy class off the six-foot model schematics, it would yep. be completely different. There's just right. no way it would look right. So I'm always kind of toying between the two. What do I want to? What do I want to do there? So hopefully one day when I can shut it down, I can just say, okay, I'm going to go and do my Galaxy class now. I'm That's fair skilled enough. enough. I've learned enough. Let's let's go with uh, detached nacelles. Possibly? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Multi-vector assault mode nacelles. Okay, okay, and, and with a blade of armor yes, and, and yes. multi-replicating mines, torpedoes, uh, quantum limit. torpedoes. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, you brought up a good point about the galaxy in that I know it's very hard to model, and you know we've seen it even with Eagle Moss. They've come out with you know their their normal size, the XL, and now they have this giant two and a half foot. I don't even know what the scale is, but actually building the Enterprise, and I've seen comments from Probert looking at them like, oh, okay, I see they ditched that elevator shaft that would have been there and um but then you see things even on models that you know tobias richter has done or sto has done they all have their own little unique you know element to them so i know that that is one of those ships that it's like you know <laughs> yep. you have to make it your own in a way because there are so many different conflicting details but yeah i imagine that there's other ships out there that run into those same kind of issues and i'm sure you've modeled some of them where it's like there's a lot of conflicting details. You know what? The, the, the funnest one I've actually done recently was the Discovery Enterprise. Oh, right. Yeah. And this was the one I, I kind of fell in love with the ship when I saw it, but there was no reference information for it whatsoever out there. So it's one that I built about three times because it just, I just never was happy with it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, eventually, I think I nailed it okay and moved on and eventually found some schematics from uh, John Eve's original design. Yeah. Where it had the straight nacelles, mm -hmm. so it oh, made yep, me yep, then yep. want to go back for the fourth time and right. remodel it again. So I've got like so many different versions of that ship. And so when you don't have that research, that's a lot of you know watching it up on screen, rewinding yep. and trying to catch all those details that you can. Adjusting the gamma. Yes, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I've I've seen that up on YouTube videos from some artists who literally will adjust the brightness and the gamma on their screen to try and make out some more of those details. That's that's really interesting. And sadly with some of the newer shows we just haven't seen you know their detailed actual orthos you know we've only seen them up on a view screen or just in the corner and it kind of we have to wait for either eagle moss or cryptic to put out those ships because they get the full files because we're not seeing it up on screen so i imagine that you know as you're going through and you can't even make those models because it's like you have to go back and probably redo it because you know, some detail be missing that just couldn't be picked up from that little glimpse that we saw on TV. You, you mentioned the uh, the Eagle Moss stuff. Mm -hmm. So that that was one for me that I was. Uh, I mean, I got I went out and bought the magazine for the the Enterprise. Like I bought the right. model, I bought the magazine, I flicked through it. I mean, I I went through so many things. It wasn't until I modeled it for the third time I actually find out that the version that they had was the version that was initially supplied to the show yes and it had been tweaked before it was rendered for on screen so again yes. you're like i've got it i've nailed this thing then you realize nah 
you yeah. haven't, you've missed out details. Because mm-hmm. it turns out they get all of the files for those ships before the series airs. And I know when we were talking to some of the Star Trek Online team, they got the discovery and they could see in 3DS Max that they could spin the saucer, but they had no idea, obviously, what that was for. And then come to find out in the show, okay, that's why we've got a, a, a spinning part of the saucer. But yeah, it's really interesting how they've been doing that. But for those that don't have access to those models, you know, it's it's a lot of research and just looking and, like you said, adjusting that gamma. So, um, yeah, interesting process. But uh, what's the time frame that it takes you to go from the poll to actually putting it out to your community? Well, uh, the, the amount of work that I put into these things, uh, I mean, I, I do my day job and then I sort of quit and then I start doing the model and mm-hmm. I could easily spend from maybe 6 p.m. until like 10, 11 some nights just working on it. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably work on those things five days a week. Yeah. Until uh, doing doing exactly that until it's it's ready for UVing and mm-hmm. texturing. So I mean the the poll I try to make the polls close around the end of the month. So I've got about a week's worth of research time. Okay. And then I'll start the process of building the model, blocking it out, mm-hmm. making sure I've got the initial shape correct. Mm-hmm. And then once I'm happy with that, I'll start adding the details. And then when I'm finally happy with that, UV unwrap it and start texturing process that's amazing and i think one of the things that you know if anyone listening hasn't already followed you on instagram is really cool to see because you do put up those progress shots like the lakota you just posted recently kind of blocking it out and just getting it started you get to kind of watch that journey evolve and that's i think that's really fun to see from our side because it's not just like okay you voted on this ship i'm gonna model now and here it is you actually you know show the journey it goes on and i think that really actually helps build that community and helps bring more people in so if you're not already following mark bell on on instagram you should get on it because it's it's a good journey thank you yeah i mean uh, as well as that i mean as you said like I, I just put these things up as a progress to just show people that i am working on it yeah but i have got so many different emails and messages from people that are starting to learn 3d modeling that mm. are starting to like dissect the wireframes yeah. to actually see how ships are created in 3D and I'm getting messages and seeing people's own uh, designs come to life because they've they've seen it and they've wanted to try it for themselves. That's amazing. And and there's it, it's kind of inspiring them to try. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and that mm-hmm. in itself is kind of it's very rewarding to see you know that you're helping other people as well as you know trying to create something cool. Well, I think George R R Martin must have been taking a chapter from your book because that's what he's you know how he's just releasing a page at a time for you know his upcoming book and i think all of us it's like when we see your work and it's like we just want it now you know (laughs) but there's so much work and i I think like your site shows all the different phases of the work and i for myself like i i can't draw two sticks together without messing it up so (laughs) but i i can see i look at it's like oh so much work goes into it and one thing that i do think about when i was looking at all your different models is you make these beautiful ships in their perfect form and I wonder, like, have you ever thought or does that ever come up? Like, what about make designing the ship that's been hit with a torpedo or that's been partially destroyed, you know, battle damage version battled? Exactly. Like, you know, like your enterprise that has all of that wish list items in it, but maybe something didn't work out so well. Mm. So how does that work? Interesting. You should say that because the way I model ships, OK, is um, because I came from a video game background originally. Mm-hmm. Right. I've moved into kind of like the uh, the visual effects end of things. So visual effects do a lot of procedural texturing and everything. You know, faces on a 3D model can share UVs across, you know, the other end of the ship. And when you say UV? UV UVs are coordinates. They're texture coordinates. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so say, for example, you have the saucer section. So the saucer section has round uh, 
Aztecs. Okay, mm-hmm. those are the the cool little space invader ship, right? Look, yep, yep, like yep, ships yep. you see around the the saucer section. But those can be shared the other end of the ship. Mm-hmm. So that's a very kind of what's the word? It's it's an optimized way of working. Okay, okay. Yeah. But in video games, video games you you texture something so that you can do things like that, right? So so if you're texturing the saucer section, you mm-hmm. may just do the complete round dish on mm-hmm. one texture map, right? And the same for the underside of the dish and the engineering section and each nacelle. So the reason why I model and texture like that is for that very reason, because mm. if you want to paint on a phaser burn, mm-hmm. you don't want that phaser burn mirrored on the other side of the saucer section. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, okay. Gotcha. That, yeah. So so I always think that if, if people are going to go and play with these things, I want them to play with it. I don't want them to be limited by my workflow. I I want them to go and have fun. So, and that's also why I released the, the Substance Painter files. Ah. for for texturing so they're on there and you can go in and paint your own battle damage if you want so mm-hmm. i always think of the the, sh- the ships as kind of like a starting position you know the, these are your toys go and set them <laughs> on fire do what you want one very messed up ship comes to mind is voyager during year of hell and if we were to go back and look at it would there be like symmetrical type damaging well not back then back okay. then they would have been very limited in their technology okay. so it, it's mm-hmm. essentially what they're doing back in the 90s would have been what i guess a video game would have been doing now now ish okay. mm-hmm. yeah. so video mm-hmm. games are starting to sort of use the workflows of uh, feature film but back in year of hell i would imagine that they would have had to create a, a version of voyager you know that didn't share texture coordinates so that they could burn phasers and they could blow things up and it would be exactly where it is mm-hmm. on those texture maps yeah because it's really cool to be able to see when during a ship battle where a phaser hits the ship at a certain spot maybe it puts a hole through its hole and the visual effects match what would logically happen as much as possible in our fantasy starship battles so <laughs> that thanks for explaining that that's actually really cool to know you know i actually don't know if a lot of our listeners realize that you know it's not just creating the model because at that same time you're not creating the decals and the paint and the textures uh, that all happens after and so you're creating this base basically you know the the skeleton of it right and then there's so much work that then goes on top to actually texture it and i know in some of the artwork you put out you know where it's reflective and where things glow and the lights that happen uh, I, one of the, the ones that comes to mind uh, was my last release and it was the the tos enterprise mm-hmm. mm. so when i built that i mean if, again that's another ship that i've built probably easily around 10 times um but there's a point that you have to start thinking about these things as physical models i mean back in the 60s there was no such thing as cgi right mm-hmm. right so right. they were just building things with wood and mm-hmm. painting things and then varnishing and using translucency so when you're making a 3d model you got to sort of you got to sort of think of well if it's a if it's if you're going after this huge starship right? Like in the J.J. The Abrams movies or Discovery, mm-hmm. it's got to look like a hulking, huge starship. It's got to have right. micro details. It's got to be made right. of metal and little scratches here and there. Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. back in the 60s, mm-hmm. it was a model and there was yep. only so close you could go to it. And there would, there would be the woodwork. And again, just like CG, you would build the ship, you would get it to a point where you're happy, and then you'll start painting it. Right. So with the TOS Enterprise, I went ahead, UV unwrapped it, and then I took it into Substance Painter. But I started to think of it as a physical model, right? Mm. Like I had a, a little model kit in front of me, cool. and I hand-painted each one of those little burns and wow. little, wow. little issues, you know, that are around the hull, the egg shelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even got into the, the little cracks where the mm-hmm. where the joins would be on the, the neck, no on the bridge section, cool. and started painting in cracks where the paint would have would have cracked over time. You know, and mm-hmm. so you're thinking of it as a wood 
certain model, not a big hulking starship. So when somebody uses that in their render, hopefully it should look as it was intended, like some, yeah. you know, some old model that's just been photographed and stuck behind some optical effects, you know. That's so cool. I think what's really hard is, as, as since you're a lifelong Star Trek fan, you know, we all get like this emotional attachment to that, our favorite ship and how it looks and kind of how it is. And I think like for myself, I love the Defiant. And I know someday, probably 20, 30 years from now, somebody's <laughs> going to come up with a Defiant model that's going to blow away that, you know, version from the 90s from the show. And I think that what we all realize, what we see, and what you're kind of explaining is just like as technology gets better and we improve and we're able to make the ships look more real, like that it's just a natural evolution of they're going to change, right? I mean, you can't just keep it the same way as it always was. And I think that kind of exists right now if you think about lower decks, right? We've got these ships that are animated, but there are individuals out there, and I'm not sure, Mark, if you've actually modeled any of the lower deck ships yet, but when those get created, they won't be animated. Look, someone is going to replicate that and turn it into something more realistic looking using the textures and and creating you know a a very detailed model but it won't look as if it was animated it would look like you know it was on you know a a cgi scene within you know a new episode of star trek exactly and for me if i was to model a ship like that i i would try and think of it as you're saying like a a modern starship you know Mm -hmm. modern tv modern feature film it's all really slick and cool but you can add things that are called cell shaders to a 3D model. So mm-hmm. they're they're essentially turning a 3D ship into like a 2D hand-drawn mm-hmm. image, right, okay. which is okay. actually what they do on the show. Uh, it's, it's CGI, but they render it in such a way that right. it just calculates it and it looks like a mm-hmm. 2D sketch. Yeah, and they haven't released any images from any of their other 3D work. I know that um, some of the other... I think I've seen one other ship artist create it digitally, a version of it at least, but I know STO hasn't put it in yet. Eagle Moss has not made one yet because I think they're all kind of settling on okay what does this actually look like if it was you know not with that 2d look so it'd be interesting to see and one of the things I really enjoy about your models and you you mentioned it a few times is you give it to the community and they get to play with it in their playground so not only you creating the ship but the community can actually download them and actually create their own environment so they can create their own scenes using your ships and I imagine that must be pretty cool when you know someone posts an image and you're like nope that I modeled that ship and they've kind of done their own spin on it and put it in their own environment and that must be really cool to actually see happen oh yeah I mean there are guys that are on on, uh, Facebook and Instagram that just they they try and get the model and replicate what I've done mm-hmm. so they, they try and make it look you know like filmic and you know mm-hmm. nice and slick but mm-hmm. then you have people then that take that into like game engines like yeah. Unity and, uh-huh. and uh-huh. Unreal because mm-hmm. and because, and that's kind of why I like doing the models the way I do them because they're kind of accessible to both sides okay. the game community and also the 3D rendering side so they, you can make full motion videos or you can stick it in a game engine and blow it up you know do whatever you like I even have one guy who likes to uh, he got the Enterprise and I put it into VR no way yeah yeah so so he's so I've actually modeled the tiniest tiniest crappy low poly bridge right <laughs> and stuck it right behind the view screen like this view window so you yeah. can just just about see it as right. the ship flies by he actually stuck a camera in there and just started like hey mark look <laughs> here's your little <laughs> oh, wow. bridge and i'm like oh no <laughs> don't go the in there stuff. yeah <laughs> you're not meant to go inside <laughs> <laughs> well mark we know you've got a lot of work to get back to but before we let you go we have a little tradition here we've got five rapid fire questions for you and we'd like to know the very first answer that comes to mind all right all right all right mark so what is your favorite ship the galaxy class 
No, but would you let Deanna pilot it? Absolutely not. Okay. Not in a million years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now we have that on the record. Um, what's your favorite series? Oh, uh, that's got to be Next Gen. Good choice. Favorite captain? Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you were headed into Starfleet Academy and had to pick one of the three career tracks, which one would you choose? Command, science, or engineering? That's got to be engineering, right? Gotta be. Good choice. And finally, now this is, of course, Taylor, just for you. Which one ship class would you hope to never have to create a model of? Oh, no. This seems like a, a rigged question. Of course. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, probably a Borg Sphere. Please, really? God, never let me <laughs> make a Borg Sphere. And why? Just because it's a... I, I guess the cube The cube was just... It had a lot of intricate details, but at least mm-hmm. it was flat. Yeah. You, know, you could model sections of it and then kind of just overlap certain right. parts and just gradually build it out. This thing, you've got to take into account the curvature. And then right. where it meets at, at both the top and the bottom at the poles of the oh, sphere. Yeah. So it all has to sort of knit together and fold back in. Ugh, just when I'm <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> okay, so everybody, for next year, all the community, make sure this is the number one choice for the poll for Mark. Board <laughs> sphere. <laughs> yeah, Mark, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And looking forward to seeing more of your work coming out. And while you get back to it, Robbie and I are going to move into this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's drill, community members were put in a command position and asked, if you were in command of fleet operations for the United Federation of Planets for a day, what task would you first give your fleet? And most importantly, which ships would be involved? So when we first put this out, I actually took the reins of Twitter and put it out as if you were the president of the United Federation of Planets. And I actually did that on purpose to see who would catch, you know, would the president actually be giving orders to the fleet? Uh, And some did catch that. And uh, we wanted to get it retweeted out. So that way, uh, we got more submissions instead of just saying the president wouldn't do it. And so yes, if you were in charge of fleet operations, and of course, we did get some common responses and those all surrounded sending ships on exploration missions or diplomatic and there was also you know for the week that was in it quite a few responses for first contact missions and Mm. also science missions well brandon i completely agree with the community because these are not only some of my top favorite things because i always thought that first contact missions would probably be the most interesting thing to do because it's just so open-ended and Mm -hmm. and just the most exciting part i think one of most exciting parts of star trek so definitely agree with everybody and then of course as a lover of science and technology science mission would probably be what i would want to do that'd be mm-hmm. something you know with with maybe one of the ships so i i agree i love it sounds yeah. like a fun idea yeah i was kind of not surprised to see these responses very much what the ufp would be involved in probably on a day-to-day basis for myself i 100 percent agree first contact mission absolutely would love to be part of an exploration just getting out mm-hmm. there i think that's actually yeah. why i'm so excited for strange new worlds because we're getting back to that hopefully planet of the week or alien species of the week we're going to get to see new types of ships and new adventures mm-hmm. it'll probably have some kind of arc that extends between all of the episodes but i really do hope we get that exploration flavor back into into trek and back in that kind of tos era so really looking forward to that myself in terms of the ships that were submitted so the ships that would be involved in these missions most frequent were of course some of the fan favorites the galaxy class the intrepid the sovereign the nebula and the vesta otherwise known as the vesta 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 thank you james (laughs) (laughs) um 
Yeah, and I think that all these ships are really cool, awesome. Um, I definitely, you know, I'm not even going to say anything about the Galaxy, the Sovereign, just because, and the, and the Intrepid, because those are, you know, I think three of the biggest hitters we have yep. in the franchise. But I love the idea that the Nebula made that made a list. Yeah. This is awesome. So this is great. I think the Nebula is like that super nerdy, awesome, cool person who is smart <laughs> and can do so much, but it's kind of like a wallflower, and I love it. I agree as well. And what's cool about the Nebula is it's actually so versatile, right? It's got those right. interchangeable mission pods. Yep. So it's very versatile and it can be used for, you know, all different types of missions. And the Vesta, obviously quantum slipstream drive, it can go everywhere around the galaxy very fast and would make some of those missions a lot easier to get completed. And of course, the one of the awesome parts about that ship is that it's also like the name of one of my dogs, Vesna. <laughs> so she is looking at us right now, like what's going on? Like we're crazy or we were talking all about her, but she's so adorable. So of course we're talking about you her in her mind. Start calling her Vesna. Vesna. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, when James did that a couple months ago, she just was thinking that all of us were talking about her and she probably thought we were going to give her a treat or go for a walk. So I don't know. But yeah. I definitely love the, the, the Nebula class. And I think that all of you with your with your tasks and your ships, you came up with some really great ideas. And I think that if you were going to direct a Star Trek episode, I think we would all love to watch those. So great job. Well, don't forget, if you want to participate in the weekly drills, they get posted on Twitter towards the end of each week. So do keep an eye out. And I can tell you one thing. All of the Ship Talking family, Alex, James, George, Brandon, and myself, Sharky, and of course, Scooby, Vesna, Toby, the whole gang, we definitely fully enjoy and love listening and responding to your responses. So Yeah, we do. Brandon, I cannot believe how fast this episode went by, and we're already at the end. It always flies by, but you know why? Because we get into flow, and we're working on Trek and having a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, another great episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I'm really sad it's almost over but you know what there's always next week so well there's not next week because we're on shore leave oh my god i totally (laughs) forgot i you know i just came back from risa and i'm ready to go back because i'm already losing my tan so yeah so next week we're on shore leave but with our new series shuttle scuttle coming out weekly you'll of course still hear from us we actually record those in advance so even if we're on a break for the main ship talking pod there won't really be a week that we foresee where you actually won't hear from us in some capacity but when we're back with our next episode of the main pod in two weeks time, it's actually going to feature a round table discussion between three ship legends who've had their fan designs truly stand the test of time. We're excited to welcome back none other than Sean Taranjo, Mark Rodemaker, and Adam Isle. So Sean, of course, designed the Titan, Mark the Vesta, and Adam the Odyssey class or Enterprise F. And it's actually going to be the first time they're all getting together to chat. And I'm going to facilitate the discussion, but we're really just going to let them run wild with the chat kind of see where the warp core blows us so you won't want to miss it maybe we can even get like a little group chanting of the festa (laughs) and we're gonna have to come up with something for the titan and the odyssey that'd be great i love the titan that ship is just so beautiful yeah i can't wait to have sean back that's so awesome yeah and everybody else too um well i'm so excited because i'm still waiting to see if sean's gonna be able to design um sharky quarters so (laughs) if he can have like aquatic dolphin and, and cetacean ops going on in the titan potentially i think he should have sharky quarters because i think that would be awesome you'll have to get on to him for that one yeah well I'll, it'll be a follow-up item yeah well for all of you don't forget hailing frequencies are always open head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message via the submission form 
And while you're there, check out our merch. Not only will it make you stylish on your own trip to Risa, but it also helps out the pod and it goes towards our monthly production costs. We really do appreciate your support. And another way to support us is to become a member of our Patreon and we give you benefits in return for that. And we've actually just revamped it with brand new rewards at every single tier. And for less than the price of a coffee per month, you actually can get now access to all of our expanded content. And again, it goes right back into our production costs and allows us to continue making the show. So we really appreciate the support from you all. Yeah, and Alex's Warbird is pretty expensive to power. So <laughs> this definitely helps make sure that those uh, phasers keep firing and Cloak keeps working. So thank they you. They use phasers. They use disruptors. Oh, that's right. Well, I don't know. That's uh, the Warbird. You know, <laughs> We need Alex to kind of school me on that. <laughs> well, and I just definitely want to remind everybody that if you want to email us and we read every single email and we do respond, you can reach us at hello at shiptalkingpod.com. It's a great way to share feedback and answers to the community queue. You can also reach us through Twitter at shiptalkingpod. Not only is it a great place to engage with the community, but you can get daily ship facts, which are a lot of fun and just have a great dialogue between different community members. And if you ever have a question for any of our guests, that's also another great way to reach out to them. We'll do our best to connect. Absolutely. And the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us by searching ship talking pod wherever they get their podcast or just send them to our website for a direct link or anything actually our wonderful james will find a way for you or them to connect to us <laughs> speaking about james james thanks for all you do as our community manager and of course george our audio engineer who does all of the magic behind the scenes to get our episodes out each week I'd like to thank all of our listeners, our community, and our supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much for everything for making the show great. Yeah, and I have to echo that and thank you again. Until we see you in two weeks' time, enjoy the next episode of Shuttle Scuttle, and we'll see you when we get back from Ryza. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Bye. known fact about old uh, Captain Picard is that um, whenever he has to make a big decision for himself or his crew, he can only do so comfortably when the ship is traveling at at least warp 6 or 7. You want to know why? Well, it's obvious to me he's a sensible guy and he would never make a big decision on impulse. (laughs) Ah, You're welcome, you animals!